The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It has been nicknamed the Great American Sick Out, and it's impacting almost every business. We've seen the thousands and thousands of airline cancellations caused by pilots and flight attendants calling out sick. In New York City, some subway trains have been suspended, and the NYPD received more than 7,000 sick calls last week. With school back after holiday break, teachers are also calling out. In Broward County, Florida, more than 1,600 teachers called out just today. We've heard about all the call-outs at the big companies, but oftentimes it hurts the most at smaller businesses, like Zuby Supermarket in Miami, where today the owner was running a cash register. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Well, good afternoon. Yeah, they are calling it the great sick out. <laughs> That's for sure. I've been living under the weather, to say the least, uh, over the past couple days. And it's good to get back here with you today. I missed hanging out with you and looking forward to spending at least a couple hours with you. And, of course, I'm really looking forward to praying to chapel with you coming up in about uh, about an hour. We'll pray together. So if you have a need or somebody who you know is sick or under the weather that needs prayer, Love to be able to to pray with you uh, during the chaplet, so be sure and join us for that. Hey, on Wednesday, uh, John Harper, I want to thank him. I want to thank Ed Marcy for sitting in for me, both uh, doing phenomenal jobs, and I'm grateful that they can take the mic in my absence. Uh, John Harper talked with the Religious Freedom Institute's Paul Marshall about what's going on in India with the Missionaries of Charity and other charitable organizations that are being denied their licenses to raise funds uh, from overseas. Well, check this out, and I'm always, I'm just, I'm surprised at this. Um, the Indian government has sent Mother Teresa's nuns now firmly in their sights. <clears throat> and look, I've talked about this here in the U.S., and I said, when marriage was redefined, I, I, I said, the next big thing that's going to come, we, we had the, the battle for life, we had the battle for marriage, the next big battle in our country is for religious freedom, and you're going to see that slowly eroded. You're going to see attacks on it come from all sides. But it's not just here. I mean, this is very much uh, a spiritual thing, and it's happening globally. And I really see that happening now over in India, where where the government is going after, again, uh, these charitable, loving nuns taking care of the sickest of the sickest, the poorest of the poor, those with nothing. Uh, They've evicted them from one of their orphanages. So the army claims that their 90-year lease on the land under which the orphanage ended, you know, sits, it ended back in 2019, and they're threatening them with more than a quarter of a million dollars in fines for overstaying their lease. Of course, the sisters left quietly, more than likely hoping that the government, you know, won't carry out the threatening fines, but I, I just don't get it. Why would you do that to an organization that's helping in an area that you certainly are failing? You know, and and they're helping your own people. But, you know, money's a big driver. Uh, North Korea, I'm going to talk about what's happening there as well, just to keep you up to speed. Uh, Look, I don't know how true this story is, but, you know, I've been trying to keep my eye on what's happening in the East, uh, trying to make sure that um, what is developing does not threaten your safety or mine. Uh, North Korea is claiming they successfully launched and tested a hypersonic missiles. And, the, and these missiles supposedly can travel more than five times the speed of sound at low altitudes. They're highly maneuverable, making them harder to detect, harder to intercept. Is it true? We, we know China supposedly has them, and so does, so does Russia. Does North Korea? Here's what Sky News Australia reported yesterday on the matter. 
North Korea's weapons and missile tests have evolved in recent years from quantity to quality. We're no longer seeing dozens of tests in fairly quick succession, the likes of which we saw in 2017, for example. Each test now appears to be pushing their capabilities forward in a seemingly more measured way. North Korea claims that it has successfully launched a hypersonic missile, accomplishing one of Kim Jong-un's stated priorities. Exact specifications are unknown, but missiles with hypersonic glide vehicles can theoretically fly as fast as 20 times the speed of sound and can be very maneuverable in flight. This would make it almost impossible to shoot down. Some experts say it could change the military equation in the region. North Korea also says it has successfully launched a ballistic missile from a submarine, a way of getting past the missile defense systems of its neighbors or the United States. But other experts do point out that the quality of their submarines is low, so that threat is not imminent. Test firing a ballistic missile from a train, which enables a missile launch from a mountainous area, that would be difficult to predict or track. And intercontinental ballistic missiles that North Korea claims could hit mainland United States. The last one was tested in 2017. But in 2020, a newer, larger ICBM was unveiled at a military parade. Untested as yet, but experts believe it could potentially carry multiple nuclear warheads or decoys, again, to get past missile defense systems. Now, North Korea remains one of the poorest nations in the world. It is heavily sanctioned by United Nations Security Council resolutions, and yet it still poses a significant threat to the region and to the world. Kim Jong-un himself has called these weapons precious, saying they're needed for self-defense and also for survival, and he is not willing to give them up. He also continues to blame the U.S. for raising tensions in the region. Yeah, those weapons are... You notice the word he used, precious. More precious than the millions of North Koreans that are starving to death. More money going into the military than taking care of their own people. Really is quite tragic, but it's also quite alarming, if, if you ask me. I, you know, the, the leap in technology that we're now seeing, uh, both, I expect it from China. Um, Russia, of course, has these weapons as well. And as you heard in the report, the state media said that they were turned hypersonic gliding warheads. They went 75 miles laterally before that particular test traveled about 435 miles to precisely hit its target. And no one as yet has independently verified their claims. Japan and South Korea both said they believed it was a, a ballistic, not a hypersonic weapon. And it could just be that. You know, this is a, a very poor nation right now. I know Kim Jong-un is putting a lot of money into uh, the military, but... Um, you know, we don't need more precise, more deadly, more evasive weapons. So as I say to you just about every day here, let's pray for peace, right? Let's do that. Let's pray for peace this presentation. in the country and in the world, especially. You know, here in the U.S., COVID is sweeping through like it hasn't before. I don't know how you're doing and how you're feeling. Uh, over the Christmas holidays, COVID swept through the Mariani household. And um, just about everybody I've been talking to has COVID. Uh, my colleague, uh, for, well, contributor to the program, Dr. Mark Maravalli, he was down with COVID. My producer, Tom, who does a lot of the booking for the show, um, he went to book guests during my absence over the past couple of days, and he could not believe how many people are down with COVID. Guests who just could not come on because they've got COVID. Um, it is, it's, it's un unprecedented. I've not seen anything like this. You know, with our show alone, it's, it's, you know, I've been out because there's been a couple of potential guests 
Um, we couldn't get on the air. Uh, CNN, Apple last week closed all their stores in New York City uh, to customer browsing. Um, you know, Macy said it wouldn't shorten its, its uh, morning or even uh, evening hours through. Uh, or I should say they they will shorten their 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 morning and evening hours uh, all this month. And uh, they also reported that employers are having to stay home because schools like those in Chicago are shutting down. And what a mess. Huh? I mean, I, I just think of what's happening with teachers. I'm thinking about what's happening with children. I'm thinking about parents who have to now accommodate. And I'm thinking about all the businesses that are being impacted by this. This is hard on restaurants and bars, some of which had to close because their staff are all coming down uh, with this at the same time. Uh, you know, Georgia uh, Martani is an executive director for First Steps in South Carolina, a state agency that links public and private school systems with nonprofits to ensure families are supported to be successful in, in schooling, um, took a look at the whole COVID problem. And here's what she said about what COVID is doing to our kids and ultimately to their development. Listen to this. Parents are so concerned about their children's development at this time. We know that parents are their child's first and best teacher, but at the same time, how can a parent be there for their young child when they're also supposed to be logged in online telecommuting or in many cases needing to go to work outside of traditional hours because they are now responsible for the primary caregiving of their child who was previously in school or in a childcare center. What we're finding is that parents realize that their children, their young children in particular, are missing out on developmental milestones. They're not getting that socialization, which is so key to brain development in these early years. They're not receiving care by a qualified early educator. They're losing out on these precious months that are so critical to a brain's development. Yeah, I said to my wife, I am just so glad that our kids are out of school. Uh, my heart goes out to you as a parent if you are raising your chid, ch- your child and trying to to educate them right now with this pandemic and all the challenges that, that often accompany it. But I, I am worried about their development, as you just heard there as well. I mean, that's a very serious concern. These kids uh, clearly are our, our future. You know, the Epic Times reported on a study that JAMA Pediatrics did and showed the babies born during the pandemic. Um, they have lower developmental scores also than children born before it started. That to me is striking. I'm going to repeat that just so you can get a a, a grasp on that. Babies born during the pandemic have lower developmental scores than children before it started. A group of researchers in New York, they studied, it wasn't a huge group, it was 250 infants born between March and December 2020, including those whose mothers had COVID-19 during pregnancy, and it found that some of those infants born during the pandemic have experienced slight developmental delays. Overall, the Epic Times said, compared with a group of infants born before the pandemic, the, the babies born during the health crisis they displayed slightly lower scores on tasks uh, involving everything from large and small muscles and personal interactions. And doctors are attributing this to the possibility of mothers being stressed during the pregnancy. So I'm not quite sure ultimately the cause of it, but another, I think, um, byproduct of of this pandemic. Let's just pray that it ends. I mean, we need to we need to pray for for God's mercy. We need to pray that this thing 
is in our rear view mirror. I am so tired of COVID. I'm sure you are as well. And to be honest with you, I don't know how you feel about it. I really, I thought this would be over in about a year, maybe a year and a couple months. I did not expect it to drag on. But I've shared this story with you before. I, you know, I, my, my brother-in-law, good man, I often share with you about him. He, he doesn't believe in God. He's, he's an avowed atheist. He just doesn't, he doesn't, he's not a bad person. He just doesn't believe there's a God. He just doesn't. We're driving um, after the pandemic um, had erupted and uh, Operation Warp Speed went into effect. The president came out, he had a vaccine, and, and my brother-in-law was all pumped. Oh, this is great. The pandemic's going to be over. The pandemic's coming to an end. It's going to be awesome, you know? The elections are taking place. And um, I got on a phone with a, a person I know. He's a spiritual director or confidant of a, of a mystic that we both know, a, a person who has communications with with heaven in a special way, if you will, the Virgin Mary has appeared to to this particular person, and that per and and they received a message. This was back, I, I would probably say twenty twenty when this was going down, um, and said that just as you think this is over, it won't be. That there will be more and new, you know, evolving developments when it comes to this type of pandemic. And true, right on the heels of that, you know, right after you got out of COVID, you saw these other variants. They were called by different names initially, right? And then they started giving them the Greek names of Delta. And now we've got Omicron and, and some of these others. I just wonder how long that prophecy holds true. Will Omicron come and go? Will, will this be a telltale sign that we are approaching the end of a dark tunnel? Or will we see more of these rising in the days ahead? I, I don't know. I was really hoping this would be in our rearview mirror. I do believe prayer changes things. I do. I, I think that's the case. I do think it's an opportunity for us to, to suffer well, to do penance, to ask God for his mercy. And um, I do think it's an opportunity for us to reevaluate the things that are important in, in life to us. I mean, life is very fleeting, as you know. Many of you may have lost. I, I know I've lost certain people who I uh, was close to as a result of, of COVID. Um, it's, it's a tough thing. Maybe you lost your business. Maybe you've reset your priorities. You understand how important family is and it's not necessarily the office. So, um, this has been a special, special time. And, and they say these pandemics, you know, of course, last major one happened in 19, you know, 1918, right? A uh, hundred years ago or so. Uh, but they happen a lot more frequently than that. But this is a global pandemic. unlike anything we've seen in a long time. And I don't think we're anywhere out of the woods yet. One final story here. All right, I'll share one final piece of news I came across while I was uh, down and out for a little bit. There was a former chaplain uh, to the House of Representatives. His name is Father Patrick Conroy. Uh, this guy is raising quite a few eyebrows because of an interview that he gave to the Washington Post. And I'm not here to in any way disparage priests, but I do want to call you to um, to pray for this man. And I do want to call you to... To be aware, when you hear something like this, if it doesn't sound right, um, check your catechism. Talk to another priest. Find out what's going on. Um, this, this particular priest was asked about a policy statement from some Catholic House Demo that some House Democrats made last year, and his response was about abortion. and And he said this. He said, "Quote, by the way, yeah, I want to know the American who thinks that the government should take." away their choice in any area of their life, any area of their life. It's an American value that each one of us can choose where our life is going. That happens to be a Catholic value too. And I gotta wonder if he would apply that statement to Americans who don't wanna get vaccinated, but are, are, are you know being forced by government mandates. Uh, it's okay for abortion, right? Uh, can't take that choice away from a woman. 
So we'll we'll see. I, I don't know what his Jesuit superiors are saying if they're going to correct him on that statement. But if you hear news like that, just I, I want to get your <laughs> I want to put it on your radar. Make sure you know you know what's happening. Uh, look, when I come back, uh, we'll talk more. I'm going to take a short pause here. Uh, lots going on in the world of economics as well. Job numbers. I don't know if you are looking for work and if you're having trouble hiring people. I'll bring you up to speed on that. And, uh, of course, we'll talk more. we got a lot to get into today. We'll pray the chaplet, and uh, you're always welcome to join me. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Don't forget, today is First Friday. If you don't know what that means, I'll fill you in on that a little bit later. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, OSHA's economy-wide one-size-fits-all mandate covering 84 million Americans is not a necessary, indispensable use of OSHA's extraordinary emergency power, which this court has recognized is narrowly circumscribed. Just three days ago, the U.S. Postal Service told OSHA that this ETS's requirements are so burdensome for employers that the federal government is now seeking an exemption from its own mandate for the Postal Service. That's because OSHA's economy-wide mandate would cause permanent worker displacement rippling through our national economy, which is already experiencing labor shortages and fragile supply lines. OSHA has never before mandated vaccines or widespread testing, much less across all industries. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Well, that was uh, coverage from the Supreme Court's oral arguments for Biden v. Missouri just hours ago. Just hours ago. A lot is happening. And another important story just for you to be in the know on the Supreme Court today had a very rare Friday. Uh, it was an urgent one because it involves millions of people who could be forced by the government to get vaccinated or lose their jobs. And I don't know where you are on this, whether you are vaxxed and boosted, just vaxxed, or maybe you're saying, I'm not getting it, period. And a lot of people have tried to file religious exemptions. Other people have uh, lost their jobs. Uh, not, I, tell you, I took a look at the military, how many Marines we've lost and, and so many others. The court heard two cases today. They spent about three hours doing that. One case was brought by private employers seeking an injunction. And they, this injunction was against the occupation, uh, against OSHA, basically, the, the Occupational Health and Safety Administration mandate that uh, employers with more than 100 employees have to be vaccinated or tested weekly and wear masks at the jobs. And the other case was brought by a number of states against the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS. And that's requiring all healthcare workers at these facilities to get federal funding to get vaccinated or else you're going to be fired. So in both cases, one of the main complaints is that, you know, businesses and healthcare facilities are already short staffed because of their, their worker shortage. So this demand would mean that even fewer workers, you know, than they already have on top of that, you know, there's the constitutional issue of the federal government telling private businesses what healthcare decisions they have to make for their employees. So according to the reports I've seen, the conservative justices were questioning whether or not the government can do what they're claiming they can do. 
the liberal justices, they were saying some things that, you know, that left some people scratching their heads. I mean, but both Justice Sonia Sotomayor and, and Kagan, uh, Elena Kagan, claimed that the vaccines are going to help prevent the transmission of COVID. Vaccines will help tr- prevent the transmission of COVID. That's what these two uh, liberal justices were saying. The head of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and many other government officials have consistently said that the only thing that the vaccines will do for you is help lessen those symptoms. That's it, right? They, they don't prevent you from transmitting the disease. They don't stop you from getting it. I, I mean, you know the way I look at this? This is just a side note. And again, I'm not a physician. You know, when, when I get vaccinated for chicken pox or for mumps or for measles or, you know, hep A or whatever it might be, right? Um, you get a vaccine. You're not going to get your chicken pops, ch- chicken pox. You're not going to get your mumps. You're not going to get your measles, right? Um, when I get my flu shot, right, if you get that every year, you might get the flu. Well, you might not if they're lucky with the composition of that vaccine or that, that shot. I see this the same way. Um, this I can't tell you how many vaccinated people I know have been wiped out by, by the variants of, of COVID right now. So it's certainly, I mean, the word vaccine troubles me a, a little bit here. Um, again, the shot that they're giving you does not permit prevent the transmitting of the disease. It doesn't stop you from getting it. That That's very clear. Uh, calling it a vaccine, I think, is very, very confusing. Yeah, Justice Sotomayor, you know what else she said? She said that 100,000 children are in serious condition. They're on ventilators from the disease. That's not the case. That just isn't. Just Justice Stephen Breyer, he made the claim that 750 million people came down with it yesterday. Now, look, I talk for a living. So I understand misspeaking. I probably do it way too much. 750 million people came down with it yesterday. That, that, that obviously hasn't happened. We're a country of 330 million people. So if even everybody got it twice, we still wouldn't get there, right? That'd only be 660. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a global number. But I mean, 750 million people? Okay, he probably misspoke. I'm going to give him a pass. I'm joined right now by Jim Burling. He's the Vice President of Legal Affairs for the Pacific Legal Foundation, which you can find online at pacificlegal.org. Great group. Check them out. All right. Make sure you go ahead and and do that. Good to have you with us today, Jim. Good afternoon. Hey, it's great to be with you this afternoon. Thank you so much. That hearing um, that underway, let's start start there. The hearing wasn't about any substantial issues, so, you know, it wasn't about the substance of the case but really about an injunction, right? So why is the Supreme Court hearing about an injunction? I thought that was done at the lower court levels. Why is this all the way at the level of the Supreme Court? Well, the injunctions were granted at the lower court and then reversed by another federal court of appeal in one case. And in the other case, injunction was denied. So what happens going on here with the NFI, with the National Federation of Independent Businesses and some of the states are arguing, is that the consequences of the vaccine or test mandate are so severe, so consequential, because it affects 80 million workers, for example, uh, at least one to 3% of them who said they will quit their jobs if they're required to get a vaccine. And the employers in the states are worried that this could have a serious effect on the economy nationwide. And so they need to get into court, they say, to have this thing stopped before January 10th, next week, next Monday, when the mandate begins to go into effect. 
where the reporting requirements begin to go in effect for masking and then the vaccines a month later in February. So they're saying that there's a lot at stake right now, because if this goes into effect, uh, these consequences could flow from that. And so a, a lot of what was going on today in the court was trying to argue, well, do we have a right to stop this? Which comes down to the fundamental question is, did Congress authorize the agencies, the president and his agencies, to impose these vaccine or test mandates in the first place? And there's a lot of dispute about that. And, and I think that is what the Supreme Court was wrestling with. I mean, this wasn't just simply a couple of arguments. These arguments went on for three and a half hours this morning. Normally, two arguments in two cases would take no more than two hours. And so they let it run way over time. And the court has lots of questions. And as you mentioned a few minutes ago, this, this split right down on ideological lines. So what do you make of the the information that Justice Sotomayor and, and Kagan and Breyer put out? A little bit of misinformation on COVID from from the bench. It makes me wonder how they view COVID and, and how that will influence their decision as well. Is there anybody who corrects them? Or you, what do you make of those statements? Well, as far as Justice Breyer's statement about three quarters of a million, he said it a few times, but he said it in three quarters, he said it 750,000 in other instances. So I, mm-hmm. I think he misspoke. I think he knows I better. He, he can count. Uh, but the b- bottom line is that the liberal justices were painting a doomsday scenario of what would happen if the vaccine mandate doesn't go into effect. As Breyer put it, thousands of people every second will come down with COVID if we don't force these vaccines on all employees of large employers. And, uh, you know, is anybody going to correct them on that? I think that the conservative justices are largely going to ignore that kind of hyperbole. And I think maybe some of their clerks will say, well, not so fast. But, uh, you know, sometimes at the Supreme Court, reality and facts on the ground don't matter that much to them because they are so, uh, in some cases, isolated from the reality of what the average uh, American has to go through on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Hey, you know, how long will it be before we hear from the court on these cases? What's the timeline? What are we looking at? We don't know. But when the last time we had emergency hearings like this was in Bush versus Gore. And in that case, they came down with a hearing with about a day and a half later on the weekend. Because we're dealing with a something that's going to go into effect on January 10th, and today is the 7th, I expect we're going to get a ruling over the weekend. I think they're going to move quickly, uh, because if, especially if they want to have an injunction. And they may, as was hinted by a couple of the conservative justices, we, we may just want to have a short term. Let's, let's stop it for a few days while we have more time to consider this. Or they may simply have the injunction go into place and then send it back down to the trial courts to go through a much longer process of determining on the merits whether this is constitutional or not. Yeah, gotcha. You know, the, um, th- there have been some religious liberty cases, like from New York State and from Maine, where healthcare workers are claiming religious exemptions, but those states are denying them. What happens here? Will, those, will this case impact those religious exemption cases at all? How does that work? Well, some of the regulations that are in play today do have their own religious exemptions. So if the federal mandate has a religious exemption and the mandate goes into effect, 
that will have an impact on the federal mandate. But if the states have independent mandates, unless they're preempted by the federal regulation, and that was another big question that came up to the court today with the healthcare ones, is this, does this preempt state laws and regulations? Then those states like Maine that are not allowing religious exemptions, they may be able to continue to get away with that no matter what happens today. So that's another big question. And those mandates, religious exemption issues, they may very well come back to the Supreme Court because that's just not a state issue. That's a First Amendment issue and people's right to exercise their religious beliefs, which I think this court uh, is very firmly in favor of. How does the court break down? I mean, Chief Justice Roberts appeared to be skeptical of the government's claims. Is that a good sign for plaintiffs? What do you think is going to happen? I think for the states and the businesses, that is a good sign because Roberts is often somebody in the middle who wavers back and forth, who tries to come up with a middle ground. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was trying to be fair to both sides, certainly in this case. But if you can read the tea leaves and read what he was saying, especially with the employer mandate, uh, it seems to be that even if he wanted to come up with a middle ground, his ability to get another conservative justice to go along with him, I think it's rather limited based on the other conservative justices questioning. Now, on the mandate for medical workers, which is a separate mandate, and that's something Roberts pointed out, said you've got a mandate for healthcare workers, you have a mandate for contracts, you have a mandate mm-hmm. for worker employees. You know, I mean, where is it going to stop? Why, you, you seem to just be trying to fill in the gaps here. Uh, but, but Roberts and the others seem to be more favorably disposed to the health care mandate because the language in the congressional statutes talks more about protecting health and safety. And so that one may, may fly. That one's more likely to fly. But the worker mandate for all employees and firms that have over 100 employees, uh, that one seems to be on much shakier ground. Gotcha. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. Jim, thank you. Thanks for what you guys do there at Pacific Legal. And if people want to check you out, the best way is, what, PacificLegal.org? PacificLegal.org. You can find all about our cases there. All right. Well, keep up your great work. Enjoy your weekend and stay healthy, okay? All right. Thanks very much. Good to be with you. You got it. That's Jim Burling, Vice President of Legal Affairs for the Pacific Legal Foundation. And We'll continue to monitor and keep you up to speed on what's happening regarding mandates. I know it has a uh, personal impact on you and on your life and uh, on all of us, really, in a lot of respects. So uh, tough stuff, huh? It really is. It's it's difficult. Um, and I just, uh, I, like I said a few minutes ago, I'm looking forward to when we get out of all of this. Let me grab a call or two from you too if you want to join me the number here is 888-914-9149 i'll go to the phones i know a couple of people have been holding before i do though i just i promised i'd get to you the job numbers just to give you another sense of where we are as a country i'm trying to always give you the big pictures i open this show here uh in terms of what's happening both nationally and internationally within the church and and, and of course here at home with your health uh when when business uh journalists uh, polled economists about where the december job numbers were and where they'd come in the uh Consensus, the consensus, I should say, fell about, uh, fell at around 422,000 people uh, getting new jobs during what should have been one of the busiest months of the year. Uh, what was modest growth, if you think about it, from previous months, it seemed like a good estimate, right? Well, guess what? The Bureau of Statistics, they came out with numbers today, 
and to say that they were underwhelming, that would be an understatement. I mean, part of it, look, I I got to be honest here. I got to stop here. I almost don't want to tell you this stuff. I mean, I don't like to give you bad news. I, I don't. I don't like to report on this type of stuff like this. It, it just, I, just is, is frustrating to me. It really is. Um, uh, you know, 199,000 jobs were created last month, less than half of what was expected, and that's it. And I'm sure... Yeah, well, I'm not sure, to be honest with you, why such dismal job creation numbers are are out right now. The percentage of unemployed went down to 3.9%, but maybe there are a lot of people who simply stopped looking for work. Maybe people are just done uh, working. If you're a small business owner, I know you're probably having difficulty getting people to work. I I drive up and down the road in my town here, and there are signs for new employment everywhere. You know, with all the people who are out sick right now because of COVID, there's an expectation that January numbers aren't going to be that great at all. But despite this, the economy is still picking up a bit of steam, and that meant interest rates went up a bit. Uh, CNBC reported that the average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage, guess what? You looking for a home still? You haven't put your home up for sale? Maybe you're trying to find that dream home? Mortgage rates are up. They hit 3.33% last week. And it's now about a half a percent point higher than it was a year ago. And they're saying that applications to refinance a home, they fell. Um, that's not good news. Uh, fell two, 2% last week compared to two weeks ago, and they were 40% lower than last year. So the applications for mortgages to purchase homes also fell. Uh, but, but again, you know, I, let me put this into perspective for you. To get a 3% mortgage, come on, 3.3%? How many of you were doing the happy dance when your mortgage was at 4%, you know, or even 5%? Yeah, What was your first mortgage? Think back to when you got your first mortgage. What were the rates? Were they 10%? Were they 13 15%? Were they 8%? Think about your first mortgage and look at where you are now. Look at how cheap money is. So as I report all these numbers, yeah, job numbers aren't the greatest. Uh, interest rates uh, seem to be climbing. Um, but still, I, I mean, this is a crazy crazy time. The Federal Reserve's talking about raising interest rates this year a couple of times. I had heard earlier last year that it was probably going to do it three times. It's probably going to, of course, put the, it's going to pump the brakes, at least on the, on the housing industry and the real estate market. And in turn, that could impact, of course, other areas of the economy. But for right now, the consensus, the expectation is that the economy is going to grow this year, but at a slower pace. We're going to get through this. We got the greatest nation in the world, the most robust economy, and um, there's no doubt in my mind that America will pull through this and we will lead. But just giving you the temperature right now, I want you to have an honest and clear look at what's happening. When I come back, I'll grab a few of your calls, and uh, we'll talk about some things that are spiritual. We'll get ready also to pray. So stay with me. That and more straight ahead. Of course, the chaplet is coming up in about 15 minutes, so you can do yourself or somebody else a favor. Invite them to join us this afternoon. You can send them a text, a tweet, an email. Say at uh, top of this hour, let's pray for that intention that we really need to that prayer for. A lot of prayer power when we gather together. We'll do that coming up, so stay with me. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com. Slash Forrester. Keeping you better informed, educated, and inspired. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio.
All right, good to be with you. We'll pray the chaplet coming up in a few moments. I am a little bit under the weather today. I might have bitten off a little more than I can chew. But we'll pray for sure. So say a prayer. For, let me grab a call. Joe's been holding a long time. Let me see what he's got to say. Hi, Joe. Good afternoon. Thanks for listening there in Arlington Heights. Hi, uh, good afternoon to you, Drew, and I'm glad you're better. I've been, it's been on my mind, uh, uh, this pandemic, I, and why do I raise it? I spent like 100 hours in the 80s researching Our Lady of Medjugorje because I was so uh, intrigued by it and, sure. you know, whether it any basis. But what I remember, the Blessed Mother, if in fact she did appear to the six or eight children, <laughs> so that there'd be severe punishments, 10, I think, upon us, I think in the year of 2000, if we did not repent, say the rosary, turn to God, etc. I'm wondering if there's any theologian or if the visionaries have spoken to whether this pandemic, which has affected us economically, you know, uh, spiritually, morally, etc., as far as an increase in death rates globally, is related to what the Blessed Mother says that God would punish upon us. Uh, well, in terms of Medjugorje, uh, we'll talk about that first. Of course, the church has to ultimately rule uh, on its authenticity. If it does meet with church of, formal church approval, it will go down perhaps as one of the greatest apparitions since Guadalupe, just based on the uh, amount of visions that have taken place and the fruit that has come from that place. But yeah, the, you know, the, the seers there were reportedly given secrets. Each seer gets 10 secrets. And uh, after they receive their 10th secret, their vision stop. Out of the six kids who began having visions in 81, um, three of the six have already had all 10 secrets. Um, so the remaining three have nine. So that is, that, that, that's a tell within itself because according to Medjugorje, um, you know, the, uh, there are seers who've been given secrets that will be revealed to the world. There are three secrets that will be revealed uh, to the world. Um, I think the seventh and the ninth and the 10th of those secrets are, are, are for the world. And they involve a punishment or a chastisement. Um, and one of the things you know, people always ask, what's, what, what's, what are they, what are they? And one of the seers said, you know, well, would you want to see, you know, some, like she, they, they've never revealed what the secret is about, but they, they said, would you want to, you know, see a dam collapse? I mean, that's not what the secret's going to be, but they, they were trying to give it an explanation of, of what is ultimately going to happen there. Uh, the Virgin never said what time it would take place. She never said the year 2000. What she did say is that these secrets would unfold within the lifetime of the seers. And now those kids right now, kids, the vision started when they were just kids back in 81. They're now in their late 50s, I think early 60s. So um, what about the time in which we live? Um, you know what? I, it's such a it's such a great question. I uh, Will we see these in our lifetime? If those visions are authentic, and I have often said this, they will self-authenticate. You know, the seers will release those visions, and then those those secrets will unfold, and the world will see them. There's supposed to be a final sign that will be given, uh, one that will be able to be televised and it will be visible, but uh, will uh, be uh, you know undestructible. It'll be left at the site of the first apparitions, a place called Mount Pobreto. Uh, you know, so if those events unfold, then we're going to know this is legitimate. And, but the Virgin did warn. She also said to the kids, tell people not to wait. Do not wait until, you know, it's too late. It's, you know, people say, oh, I'll convert when I see the signs. Well, then it might be too late. So with those, with those, with the talk of chastisement, um, or, or secrets, you know, it's also coming through a very human filter, these kids, and we have to be very cautious and very prudent, rely on the church and its direction for, for a lot of this. But, you know, when I look back at history, um, 
what I think of is La Salette, right? 1845, the seers there were given a message about a great chastisement that would befall Western France. And true to what the Virgin said to Melanie uh, Cavett and, and Maximum Girard, the two seers that she appeared to, she appeared weeping. Uh, she warned of a great blight. A million people died of the wheat shortage in France. You know, great potato uh, famine hit Ireland. People had to leave. Uh, Europe was forced to do penance. Um, and she warned of the need to amend their life. A few few years later, champion Wisconsin, the Virgin Mary appears, right? And to Sister Del Bryce and uh, talks about a, a great chastisement will take place here in America. 12 years to the date of that warning. The worst recorded forest fire in U.S. history took place. 2,000 acres, 2,000 miles. Uh, no, so yeah, t- 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 how much land? The land the size of the state of Rhode Island was devoured, is, is what they said. And, the, of course, the great miracle of Champion took place, the, and, and Our Lady's intervention took place. Uh, Fatima, we can go through all these different things. There are warnings. Quite often, the world does not respond, and we are forced to live through whatever those particular ch- you know, chastisements are. So I think we live in a special time, personally, Joe. I, I think this is a grace-filled time. I think it's a time of mercy. I think it's a, the reason God has sent his mother to every habitable continent in an effort to have us amend our lives, to convert our hearts, to return to God while there is still time. Because as St. Faustina said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, if, as the Lord told St. Faustina, he says, before I come as a just judge, first I come as a merciful savior. But woe to those of you who do not recognize this time of my visitation. And I think we're in that time of mercy. Now, I, I'm, God may call me home today. He may call you home tomorrow. I, I don't know. It, it could be a thousand years from now. But it could very likely, if those Mejigoria visions, as you point out, are true, and like the history that we have seen that has preceded them with numerous visions, these things may not be in the may not be long in the offing, if you will. Uh, La Salette was not that far off. Champion was not that far off. The things the Virgin prophesied about Fatima were not that far off. In Rwanda, Africa, same thing. Visions began in eighty one. In ninety four, the genocide took place. All these things were predicted. So I think we're in a special time. I, I really do, I, and, and I think uh, it's a time to get close to God and mend our life, begin to live heaven on earth. Because the Virgin said, "The one who prays doesn't fear the future." That's why I'm such a big advocate of it. But I appreciate your call. I think it's a, a great question. And where, where do you stand on the issue now that you did all that research? Well, it was a long time ago. And, you know, I leave it up to the church, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's what's going on is really concerning to me. But if I understood you correctly, the punishments yeah. will not start until all of the visionaries receive all of the secrets. And still three visionaries have not. So if that's true, therefore, this pandemic is not the result of the punishments that the Blessed Mother has warned us about. Is that right? So uh, just just so I, I'm clear on it, um, again, I, I'd have to go back and review exactly what happened. There's a couple great books that were written on the topic. Um, my understanding is this, that uh, one of the seers, Vishka Ivankovich, I think was given a parchment, and it's neither parchment nor paper, and she's supposed to fast prior to revealing the secrets that she has for the world, these chastisements that are going to take place, and her spiritual director will reveal them to the world. I, they're going to be very specific, and they're going to be announced ahead of time. Um, so I, mm. I think the things that are being prophesied um, in Medjugorje, again, I qualify. If it's authentic, if, if it meets church criteria, then yes, um, they're going to take place. But you know, I also think there's a ratcheting up of events. I think sometimes God in his mercy you know, allows us to endure hardship or trial or suffering in order to, to maybe draw us closer to him. I mean, we, we the thing about the chastisements and all these things, 
you know, a lot of this stuff could be alleviated and possibly, you know, it might be too late to alleviate them now, I think the Virgin said, but we can certainly mitigate them because God is a God of mercy through our prayers and through our sacrifice. And like I said, you know, why why are we going to wait? Maybe this happens in 2035. Maybe it happens in 2022. I, I mean, we don't know. We should be working on our spiritual life and our relationship with God today. And that's really what this is, is all about. So, would, would it behoove you to have a guest uh, talk about, I know you've had a guest in the past about Medjugorje, but would it behoove you to have, in light of the pandemic, would it behoove mm-hmm. you to have a guest to, to, to discuss whether somebody has talked to the visionaries or somebody of competent authority in the church and whether there's a connection between yeah, I, that. I would love to do it. I, I'll, I'll just tell you the policy of the network is this, and one of the reasons we don't talk about it. People say, why don't you talk more about this stuff? Uh, again, it's private revelation, and, and you know, mm-hmm. the, the network policy here is that like we don't want to camp out or, or, or really promote or, or dive into this type of stuff. Let's leave it up to the church to do its due mm-hmm. diligence and then... We will address the issues. Now, believe me, if the seers come out with the seventh secret and, and they reveal that there's going to be a comet that strikes or there's going to be a massive earthquake or there'll be a deadly flu or virus or who knows, right? I don't know. I'm just throwing things out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure at that point in time, we can maybe find a way to put it on people's re- you know radar. But but I understand that the, the, the network's you know hesitancy and, and concern, and, and, and rightly so. You don't want to begin to do this. A lot mm-hmm. of people get very apocalyptic. In fact, a little later today, I was going to have... Uh, with me, Carl Olson. And, you know, there is this end time mentality a lot of people have right now, the end time trap. And I'm going to try to dive into it maybe after the, the chaplet today or a little bit later. So we'll look at it. But, Joe, mm-hmm. I got to hold it right there. I will revisit this. I think it deserves a lot of conversation. And I'm really grateful for your call. But I got to pray the chaplet right now. So let's pray for peace. Let's pray for our own conversions. We don't know the day or the hour. I think we all endure small chastisements in our life, corrections hardships, sufferings, and they're not necessarily always a bad thing. They can be meritorious. So if you want to pray with me, I'm live today. When I come back, we'll implore God's great mercy. All right. Feel free to dial in 888-914-9149.